Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Today, we're going to be taking a look at some of the top-ranked reasons for being bullied. Okay, before we get to the top-ranked reasons why kids get bullied, I want to share with you some statistics, and I want to explain to you why these numbers just don't add up. Now, national statistics have revealed that 75% of teachers believed They believe that they intervened in a bullying incident. But only 25% of the students believe that their teachers have intervened to stop bullying from occurring. Herein lies a very large problem. Why is the perception between students and teachers so different? And... In order to understand this, we have to understand what interventions are being used to stop the bullying. An intervention is only an intervention when it works. That's one thing that we have to understand. If you say to a kid... When he comes to you and complains to you about being bullied, don't worry, I'll take care of it. In the kid's mind, that's an intervention and it's going to be taken care of. And most times it's not. Now, a typical scenario goes something like this. One child bullies another child. The child that was bullied reports the incident to his or her teacher. 
the teacher then speaks with the bully. The teacher now believes that the problem is taken care of and it won't happen again. And that might be the furthest thing from the truth. The bully now becomes angrier at the person who reported the bullying and continues to bully the same child, probably even worse. The child who bullied the, the child who was bullied believes that the teacher didn't do anything about it. It's irrelevant to the victim that the teacher's talking to the bully about the problem because the bullying continues. Now, another scenario that occurs that I want us to be aware of is that a teacher could receive that report and then call up the parent of the bully and say, hi, you know, Mrs. Smith, Johnny's been bullying Jimmy in school. And the parent's reaction could be something like this. Oh, Izzy, did you see it? I got news for you. Johnny was bullied the other day. No one did anything about it. Now you're calling me about him bullying Jimmy? Unless you can, you know, unless you saw it, you know, don't don't come to me. That kid gave you that information. We don't know if he had a problem with my son or not. And the conversation ends on a sour note. Now, Johnny, who is a bully, comes to school the next day and with far more clout than he had the day before. Jimmy comes up to you and says, you know, Johnny's bullying me again. You're so intimidated by the parent that you go, go on, go on, don't be such a tattletale, sit down. And unwittingly, we give Johnny more clout in the class, and this is what the kid sees. Bullies are manipulative, they are liars, and they are sneaks. And, and they are using those skills on us as teachers. Now, in the mind of the teacher... He or she intervened by speaking to the bully. The, the teacher assumed that the bullying that the bully would be compliant and actually stop bullying. What's missed here is that bullies are non-compliant. They're and they're disrespectful and irresponsible. We know that speaking to a bully will never stop them. The only thing that stops a bully is a well thought out consequence that hits the bully right between the eyes. In other words, the, the loss has got to be greater than the gain or the satisfaction that the bully receives from bullying. You see, bullies, if you ask the question, do bullies have low self-esteem or high self-esteem? Well, they have high self-esteem when they're bullying. They have low self-esteem when they're not bullying. And so they almost end up with this self-esteem index, which is inside of them. They feel bad about themselves. They got to bully somebody. Our job as educators is to make the bully feel good about himself by doing something else that's not bullying that makes him feel good. Teachers and administrators, you know, we can soft pedal 
And the idea that talking to a bully will stop them are actually perpetuating the problem. They could be making it worse. If all bullies have to worry about is a talking to from their teacher or principal, they'll, they'll gladly take the chance. The loss is not that great and will continue with the behavior. Now, until we take a stance on this and understand that statistic and stop talking and start acting, there's always going to be a 50% discrepancy in that statistic between the perception of the student and the perception of the teacher. Now, what are some of the top-ranked, the highest-ranked reasons for being bullied? And I have five of them here, and they're broken down by grade level. Fourth grade through eighth grade, eighth grade through twelfth grade. And I think you could understand how these things kind of fit in if you're working either at an elementary level or at the secondary level. You know where the drama is and you know where the problems lie okay, in your school with kids. Now, and it's broken down in terms of males and females. Males are bullied because they don't fit in as well as females. That's number one. They don't fit in. They might be odd. They might look different. They may act different. Remember, bullying occurs because of weakness and difference. The difference that a, that a victim projects and other people see, they will get bullied for it. They don't fit in. It's like the ugly duckling. It's the way it is. This kid either acts, talks, walks, dresses, or something funny that other people don't like about. Don't like about him. And by the way, none of these are good reasons. None of them. None of them. How could they be? I'm giving you some of the top-ranked reasons, but these are like, I was even stunned by it. Number two, males who they were friends with. Females, same thing. This is fourth through eighth grade. Who your friends are. Because maybe the bullies don't like some of the friends you hang around with. And we all, we all have to understand every individual has the right to be spared oppression and repeated intentional humiliation in school and in society. And bullying is just a precursor to greater and more dangerous violence. And it really does foster intense misery among students. So we have to understand that. Males, number three, physical weakness. Females, clothes worn. And I think that there is a rank and file on that because that probably with the types of clothes that girls wear, that may become a greater problem when they start to hit the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, kind of those middle school years. And boys, same thing with physical weakness. As other kids maybe in the seventh grade get involved with sports or physical activity or running 
and jumping or playing on the playground or whatever they do, they're seen as weak. Can't hit a baseball, can't throw a football, don't know how to shoot a basketball. They get they they end up with projecting that that aura or that uh, behavior out to others, and they end up getting bullied for it. Clothes worn by girls, you know, girls when they hit sixth, seventh, and eighth grade may be more in tune with being, you know, wearing what's in vogue and so on. And some of the more popular girls may be doing it, and and girls who are not that popular may not be doing it, and they get picked on for it. Males, short-tempered. Kid gets bullied, he reacts to it. So what happens? You bully him more. Why? Because you like seeing the reaction that the kid has. And with girls, it's facial appearance. And again, there's that rank and file as it goes up the ladder into higher grades and maybe makeup is starting. Maybe someone is developing acne, pimples, whatever the case may be. Girls get bullied for their facial appearance. And number five with males, clothing. The kid could be poor. The kid may not have the best clothes. Males. The kid, the kid may not know how to match clothes. And with girls, it's overweight. And here it comes, the body image issue. How females view their body. Therein lies that issue, which we've been dealing with for years. How females view their body. And you don't have to go far. You know, you just look at TV and you see every model, every movie star that's female, they're thin. It wasn't just until recently we started having, you know, some movie stars who were female that may have been a little bit... Uh, bigger in terms of their body, but they got beyond it because their acting skills were so good. And it didn't get to them. And the biggest reason that they may want to lose weight is strictly for health reasons, not because they're getting bullied because of how they look or their weight. This is a lifelong This has been going on since the flood with body image issues. And girls get picked on for it. I'm going to share a story with you guys coming up in one of the next episodes. And it's called Husky. And it deals with male body image issues that you start to get when you're a kid. Now, 8th grade through 12th grade, once again, didn't fit in, didn't fit in, are number one. Then number two for for males on the list is physical weakness. Why? They're getting older and it's becoming more and more obvious that they don't know how to participate in some of the more physical activities. And this could start in gym class because it's noticeable. 
can't do push-ups, can't do, don't know how to spike a, a volleyball, can't shoot a basketball, they get picked on for it. Number two for girls at the higher level, here it is, facial appearance. Facial appearance. Number three for males is they're short-tempered. That moved up a little bit as they got older. And number three for girls is they cried and more emotional. And then this becomes where the drama starts at the high school level. And then the girl cries or she's emotional. She isolates herself. She doesn't want to have any friends. She doesn't have a boyfriend. Everyone else around her, as she sees it, is, you know, enjoying life and she's miserable. Number four for males, grades 8 through 12, who their friends were. Greater visibility at the high school level and who you're hanging around with because you're changing classes and so on. And who you sit with in the cafeteria and the like. And girls, number four, overweight. Once again, the body image issue. Number five for males, once again, clothing, A through 12. And believe it or not, females in grades 8 through 12, one of the reasons for being bullied, can you believe this, is good grades. Good grades, how good their grades are. Which I find amazing. But girls... Can be t- girls can be tough on one another for a variety of reasons. Once again, facial appearance, too emotional, overweight, you know, and so on. And I find it amazing when the kids were in the fourth through the eighth grade, number three on the list for females was clothes worn. Clothes worn. And you have a lot of kids that are very unique and like to dress a certain way. My middle daughter, who's now 23 years old, she would wear two different two different uh, socks, didn't have the matching pair. She liked jewelry. She liked to dress in a very unique way. And no one bothered her. Nobody bothered at the high school level. They didn't bother her because everyone was dressing a little bit differently. That's why I find it interesting. It, well, it kind of disappears when you get to the 8th through the 12th grade, but it starts to crop up again in males. Number five, clothing, which is incredible. Incredible. So there are some of your highest ranked reasons for being bullied. Now, This is Friday, it's whatever it is, October 11th, I believe. Yeah, October 11th. And what I'm going to put up in the episode description is a free ebook on bullying 
and it is contained in it contained in it are is this information that I just shared with you. It's a free ebook, immediate download. You just have to click on it and it'll take you right to the page where you can download it. No strings, no nothing. It's yours for free. So make sure you get to that. I'm going to ask you also to visit the Bullyproof Classroom and visit the store and really start to take a look at what's going on in there. And then the and that and you'll have a link in the episode description as well. Then what I'd like you to do, I have a donate link in the episode description. Please donate a buck, two dollars, three dollars. This podcast, in terms of running, it doesn't run on its own, and it does require work and effort, and at times money to keep it moving. So what we want we want to do is we are looking for donations. And through your donations, you'll be given access to some special stuff that not everybody will get. You may have a um, sneak peek into a, a podcast. You may be an exclusive listener to certain podcasts. So please take the time. Please take the time. Next thing, something new. I am looking for people to interview who were bullied, who were bullied, or maybe still are bullied, or maybe are involved with workplace uh, harassment and intimidation. Whatever it is, okay, you can contact me through the, through the podcast. My email address is there on the podcast. All you have to do is email me. We'll set it right up. I'll send you a link, you call in, we'll do the show, and then I'll do a little editing and we'll put it up on the on the Anti-Bullying 101, um, put it up as an episode. So think about that. Think about that as well. Now, we're moving forward. I'm going to be doing, I'm trying to do a show on Mondays and Fridays. So look for it on Mondays and Fridays. Monday I'll have another one come out. In terms of, and, and I may be dealing with that issue that I just cited earlier, the article called Husky, and I think you'll enjoy that. Tell your friends if you like this podcast, spread it around. Today's Friday, October 11th. Let's have a great day. Let's see if we can be a blessing to somebody. Always remember, always remember that you carry your own weather around with you. My name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.
Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. again everybody and welcome back to anti-bullying 101 my name's jim burns and we're here to share with you some strategies suggestions some hopes some faith we're here to share with you some ideas that you can use to help deal with bullying for children and yes even for yourself as an adult because bullying has become rampant uh i watched the debate last night and I must say that it looked like there was a lot of bullying going on. And I, I can't understand it. I mean, I'd like to know, you know, what one of these guys is going to do for the country. And they all basically just tell everybody what the other person's not doing. Uh, And they were rude, they were discourteous, and I think the debate was a mess. I don't think it was handled well. I think that um, Chris Wallace did his best to try and moderate, but he had a difficult time dealing with the president, and he really was trying to keep the rules in order and do everything that, you know, a forensic debate lends itself to. But he didn't have, he didn't, he just couldn't get control. And one of the things that came out of watching the, the debate was realizing that no one has conversations anymore. I mean, you know, I want you to remember something. The worst conversations that we can have with someone are the ones that we think we've had. Oftentimes, conversations don't are not a form of communication. Where we're communicating our our request, we're establishing bound boundaries, and we're learning how to say no. You know, just one statement. You know, I'm not used to being spoken to that way can have a far-reaching benefit as children grow older because they're understanding how to have 
conversation and what I call productive conflict. And when kids are taught how to establish their boundaries, they can grow into adults and they can develop attitudes that at times, you know, can benefit them. Without boundaries, they can be basically, you know, resentful, revengeful, and reactionary. And it can be daunting for children to do this. And bullying is so prevalent that it does take courage and is something that requires the quality and self-respect and responsibility for someone to have what I call courageous conversations. And what I'm going to share with you today are 10 things that a person can do in order to have courageous conversations. Now, we're focusing on one individual. One person has to take the responsibility to have a courageous conversation. And certain things have to be identified when you're doing this. If I feel as if that I need to have a conversation with somebody about either how I was treated, what was said to me, um, it, it was someone unkind, discourteous, uh, was I slighted. If I need to have that conversation, the first thing that I have to do is discover what the most pressing issue is. And when you discover that, you can then really go into the conversation fact-based and not emotionally based. And you have to be honest with yourself. It's a, you know, is this a problem with your parents, another adult, a student? Could it be between, you know, a student and a teacher? Or could it be between you and your boss? Identify the pressing issue first. That didn't happen last night in the debate. And it's a very basic thing. What's the biggest issue that we have to discuss? What is it? Well, they probably had five or six things on the table. The whole thing got emotional. They interrupted one another. And it was nothing but an argument. It was not a conversation. So you got to figure out what the most pressing issue is. Now, in addition, is there anything else? You, in this conversation, you want to get everything on the table. And at times we can become frustrated, okay? We can be angry and it can leak out onto others that don't have any responsibility in a given situation. So you got to be clear. You can't have this floating bitterness that, that's there because you'll end up taking things out on your loved ones. And oftentimes, if we start a conversation with, look, I'm sorry that I offended you, that can go a long way if, in fact, you did offend them because it gets their attention. 
So you have to determine if there's anything else that needs to be discussed. You got to get it all out there. You cannot, you cannot leave things open and leave things out. Like I said before, the worst conversations that you can have with someone are the ones that you think you've had. Number three, how is the person, the problem, or the situation affecting me? And you have to ask yourself if the person, the problem, or the situation is debilitating you. Or are you being manipulated, violated, or disrespected? If someone or something has an effect on you where you lose sleep at night, it's time to have the courageous conversation with someone. Because if you don't, you will physically become debilitated. You'll lose sleep, you'll be stressed out, your, your adrenal glands will be zapped, your cortisol levels will be high, and you'll eat and drink yourself into oblivion. That's what happens when we don't get things off of our chest. And these are courageous conversations. I'm not saying this is easy. These are conversations that take courage to have. And I haven't even identified a problem that you could have with somebody else. That's another show. There are specifics, I am sure, that each individual person may have in terms of having the co- a conversation and s- stating what's on their mind. This gives you the framework to be able to ask yourself these questions. And I'm going to share something with you right after I share this next question. Number four, what's the future going to be like if nothing changes? And this is where people have a tendency to lie to themselves. They can lie to themselves by saying, oh, it was no big deal. They begin to believe they can live with things as they are, okay, and they don't make any changes. And that's a problem. The bigger question is, do you understand the change process and how to do it? And do you have the courage to make the necessary adjustments for your own well-being? Understand something, folks. Change is a step of faith. You don't know that, you know, things that you did 25 years ago are going to affect you later on in life. But what happens is you have the faith that knowing maybe healthy lifestyle, good relationships, stay what's on my mind, and you're taught how to do that, you bring that forward, you're a successful adult because you don't have things preying on your memory. You have to have the courage to make the necessary adjustments. Ask yourself that question, what will the future be like if nothing changes? Now, I wanted to share this with you. In this episode description, I am going to have the framework, and it's basically a journal 
where you can sit down and write all of this out. The journal is available in my store. I'll have the link there. You can get it. I don't even remember what it cost, but it's something that if you get, you'll have it available to you. You can copy it. You can give it to others. You can, uh, if you're going to have a family meeting, each person can have one of these journals so that you all can have that courageous conversation. And you fill this thing out before you go into any meeting, conversation, discussion to prevent it from becoming an argument. So I'm going to have that link in the episode description. Question number five. What do I see as the other person's responsibility in this issue? You see, if another person was responsible for harming you, and you were offended by their words or their actions and their attitudes, how do you begin to confront the individual and help them see things from your perspective? And then when you're doing this, ask yourself if you are ready to disagree with the right attitude. Because the person that you're going to talk with may deny it. And once you get that down, meaning disagreeing with the right attitude, then you can move forward. But you have to see what the other person's responsibility is in the issue. Once you can do that, you have to be ready to disagree with the right attitude because they're going to disagree what you told them. Now, we come to this. What do I see as my responsibility in the issue? See, oftentimes, okay, we don't want to accept that responsibility. And when, the, when we don't want to accept ours and the other person doesn't want to accept theirs, you're at a stalemate. Nobody's changing. And if you happen to be married to someone and you're at that stalemate, you're going to be arguing all the time over the same issues. Whether it be how to raise the kids, how you're spending money, you know, uh, when are we going out again? What vacations we go on? You're going to be debating these things over and over again. If in fact, you each individual person, in this case, meaning a husband and a wife, don't see what their responsibility is. And that's a big problem. That's a very large problem. If a student and a teacher don't see their individual responsibilities, how are you going to solve the problem? If a parent and a teacher don't, don't see their individual responsibilities, if a principal and a teacher don't see their responsibilities, if a husband and a wife don't see what theirs are, and if a boss and an employee don't see theirs, you got trouble. And then you enter into a conversation that ultimately turns into an argument. Question seven. What does the preferable future look like to me? In other words, what do I want to have happen? 
And what's my responsibility to facilitate the change? You have to be the vehicle that facilitates the change. We have to be the change for what we want to see in the world. We have to be the example. What adjustments do I have to make? In my own thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, and motives. And you got to be honest now. And you got to accept the challenges that come your way. What does the preferable future look like to me? Can you imagine it? Next one. These are incredible. They are really incredible questions that need to be asked. They absolutely need to be asked. I, I can't tell you how important some of this stuff is uh, because we're seeing it all over the place now. We're, we're seeing the issue. We're seeing the problem. We saw it last night. The inability to have conversations that really are productive and not destructive. And if we really want to make change and if we really want to go forward, we have to be able to have those conversations. It's all over the place. It's in our communities. People can't get along. You know, it, it's in, you know, the fighting, the rioting, the protesting. And they, you know, you sit down and you try and discuss it. People are too angry to have these discussions. And it does take courage to do it. Number eight, question eight. What is the most powerful thing we, two or more people, can agree to ask for? What do you really want and what are you ready to agree with for another person or group? And can you stand by your decision for what you really want and maintain your own boundaries? And are you going to respect the boundaries and requests of another group or another person? And this is what kids go through often when they have peer pressure. What do they really want and what is agreeable for the person or group? You could have a group of girls that want to go do something maybe inappropriate, maybe you know, uh, go off and uh, not tell their parents where they are. Uh, they, might, they may want to run away and take other people with them. Who knows what they want to do? The bottom line is, even if this person is a, being victimized in a bullying situation, he has to have the ability to draw the boundaries and have the courage to maintain his own dignity by saying, I'm not used to being spoken to this way. And if it's a group thing, they have to figure out how to separate themselves from the group. And you have to be ready 
for people to disagree with you. Have to be ready. Question nine. Based upon the above information, the questions that we just read, what's the one thing we cannot fail to do? This is known as deal breakers. What can happen again? What can't happen again? And what will be the consequence of the violation of my boundaries or the boundaries of another person? What's the deal breaker? What won't you absolutely put up with? In a family or a husband, with a husband and a wife, if there's any type of domestic violence or emotional abuse, what won't you put up with? What won't you take before you end up deciding that I can't stay here because it's unsafe? Deal breakers. That's what you have to look out for. What will break the deal? What will break up this marriage? What will break up this friendship? And then question 10. Here's where you have to sit down and say, what are the practical steps we have to take to make this happen? What is my responsibility and what can I do to help the other person fulfill his or her responsibility? And this isn't intended to blame or call attention to anyone's fault. It's designed to create an environment of mutual respect and responsibility. This is a key, key set of questions. Now, at the end of this um, journal that I'm going to be sharing with you, what I wanted you uh, to have are two additional things. Number one, the steps to change. I'm giving you the steps to change or the things that happen in the change process. And I'll just read them to you here. Change is a step of faith. We might not always see what's going to be the benefit of the change right away, but we have to have the faith that it will come. Change is painful. No questions. And sometimes pain is the only thing that produces change. You smoke long enough, the pain of emphysema or lung cancer, or if you're overweight, the pain of not being able to climb a flight of stairs can force you into the change that you need. And then you have to be patient with yourself and realize that you're going to revisit old behaviors from time to time. People fall off the wagon in terms of not being able to maintain the change that's necessary for good health or positive relationships. And that's okay. That's okay. If you do, but understand, and we're going to cover this in future shows, if you're going to fall off the wagon, you have to have a place to go, meaning you have to have a set of guiding principles. If you have a set of principles that you're using in in terms of your own life and you fall off the wagon and violate your own principles, you have to know where to go and get back with the program that you've set up for yourself. The next step is you gotta be willing. If you don't wanna do it, don't even try it because you're gonna fail if you're not willing to do it. Requires positive thinking 
It is the prerequisite for greatness. And it requires flexibility. It requires flexibility. The idea that you can do it, okay, and expect it to, you know, expect to be successful right away and expect things to happen right away is not true. There's got to be some flexibility involved when you do it and realize, you know, hey, I'm not always going to stay on my diet. I'm not always going to be perfect. So don't be hard on yourself. The next thing is it um, that we have here is this. It helps us evaluate our motives. Change helps us evaluate our motives. In other words, why am I doing this? What is the reason why I'm doing it? And if you can come up with good reasons, I mean really good reasons for making some change, then you're going to find that you're going to be more likely to stick with the program. The next one that we have is this. Change strengthens our character. It makes us better people. It just makes us better people. It makes us stronger. Patience makes us stronger. It puts us in a position where, you know, we feel like we've accomplished something. It helps us understand, you know, who we really are. And sometimes when we look at who we really are, you know what happens? We don't like it. And, and in order to make lasting change, yeah, the, the character of the person has to change. And the last thing that I have here for you is understanding effective listening skills. There's five of them, five levels. One, you can ignore somebody, and I'm not gonna go into the details of each one. Two, you can pretend to listen to somebody. Three, you can selectively listen, which usually happens during these courageous conversations because we, we only hear what we wanna hear. Number four, and we're getting closer, is attentive listening, which we do basically with our eyes, our ears, and our body. And number five, we have empathic listening, which is where you wanna be in that process of having that courageous conversation. You can call it active listening, you can call it a lot of things, but it's empathic listening. You're putting yourself in the shoes of another person. If we do these things, if we do these things, what will happen is, number one, we're gonna be stronger. Number two, we're gonna be smarter because we're gonna learn from the experience. Number three, our relationships will improve. Number four, we're gonna be obviously more courageous. 
And number five, we're going to be able to take a deep breath and say, wow, I did that. We're going to feel proud of ourselves. We're going to feel good about ourselves that we had these courageous conversations. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. You've just listened to Courageous Conversations. I am going to leave a link in the episode description that will bring you to a spot where you can download this journal that I believe is necessary. If there's two people, you you can copy the journal and you can use it. Two people can use it. You can use it in a group. You can use it in a school. You can use it in a corporation. It doesn't matter. But these are questions that you can can hand this out, have people fill it in, and bring the information to the family meeting, the faculty meeting, or the corporate meeting. Courageous conversations. I would pick up this journal in a minute because I believe it will help you build better relationships and strengthen your character and make you feel good about yourself because you didn't back down and you set your boundaries. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101 and I'll see you next week with another episode. Everyone have a great week and we will talk real soon.